0: So, you know, this is a third in this last little series on uh, running the race, and uh, we've been talking about Paul's words about how he lived his life. So let's just jump in. Would you ask the Lord to teach you something this morning, and then I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you for your Word. It speaks to us in deep, deep ways. And so, Lord, as we listen to how you spoke through Paul, may we receive it and understand it, but more importantly, may we apply it. So, Lord, just help us as we talk about Philippians. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this this phrase Paul says this one thing I do is located in Philippians 3 so let me just read it Paul says this not that I have already obtained it but I press or already become perfect but I press on so that I may have laid hold of that for which also I was laid hold of By Christ Jesus. That's an awkward sentence in English, but clearly Paul is saying Jesus got a hold of me for a reason and I'm not fully there yet. I haven't accomplished it. And I've been telling you for the last three weeks or two weeks, Yet I'm encouraged by that. Like Paul hadn't arrived. He still had more to do. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So we've already talked about forgetting what lies behind. We leave in the past sin. We leave in the past uh, things that we need to forgive. We don't keep drinking toxic bitterness. We don't keep thinking about our successes. We know that there's more to do. So we forget what lies behind, and we reach forward to what lies ahead. And we talked last week about what God has in store for us, and it is really, truly beyond our imagination. We can't comprehend what our infinite God has in mind for us. So we forget what lies behind, we reach forward to what lies ahead, and then Paul says, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul just piles on these, like, phrases. They just kind of keep piling on. So what's he talking about? Well, this is another way of him saying, I want to finish the race. I want to run the race. I want to finish it, and I want to finish it well. And he says this word, press on, is the word pursue. And you might say to me, well, Mark, this is Paul, like he's... You know, an apostle, obviously he had visions of God, he had visions of Jesus, he he planted churches all over, like he was called of God for sure, but, uh, you know, that's like for super spiritual people. Look at what he says next, let us therefore as many as are perfect. Remember how Jim taught us a few weeks ago that perfect isn't, flawless. It's mature. He said as many as mature have this attitude. So this isn't just, you know, only apostles have this attitude. We all have this attitude of there's a race to run. We want to finish it well, and we want to look to this call of God on our life, and we want to look to fulfilling that, doing it, living, living it out. So I want to ask you this. How do you feel about having a call? Now, if you've been around grace for a while, you know I have been fighting for a long time the notion that the only people who are called are missionaries and pastors, and everybody else, you know, is kind of like the second-class citizen of the kingdom. That's just not true. Paul talks about how you're supposed to live out your calling, Peter talks about the call and whoever wrote Hebrews talks about the fact that you have a call. Every one of us has a call. It is an invitation from God into a different kind of life. How do you feel about that? See, there's a couple of responses we can have. We can have this response which is I, God can't use me. I'm a hopeless case. I'm too sinful. I'm too rebellious. I'm too unimportant. I'm too incapable. I'm too whatever. That's the most arrogant statement you could possibly make. You are saying the God who created the universe is incapable of doing anything through your life. It's wrong. God has never used anything but imperfect, broken, sinful people. Read the epistles of Paul writing to churches where God was working. The prospectus class, Steinitz um, spoke a couple weeks ago in the prospectus class, and he said, listen to what he's writing to the churches about. They were a mess. And God still words but here's the other part of this is you might say i'm not sure i want to be used by god and that's where the old lie the old lie still works you know the one that says you really can't trust god because he's not really good so i want to tell you a little bit about my story today, not because it's special, but because I think, I hope, that you'll see something about your life in it. The problem with my story is, yeah, I am a pastor, so, you know, it doesn't work quite as well, because you have to kind of weed out that part, and think about it in terms of how you feel about your call. So, um, I became a believer when I was six years old. My dad, as I've told you, was a pastor, and uh, he was preaching one Sunday night. It was an outdoor service, because they did that in the summer, because it was hot in this little Baptist church. And he was talking about hell. And I decided I didn't want to go there. And I started crying. And my mother noticed this change in my behavior. And so she said, we'll talk to your father when we get home. We went into our living room and he read to me from Romans and I kneeled down by a couch and he, we prayed. I don't remember what I prayed, but I remember getting up and knowing something was different. I felt something within me had shifted, had changed. The spirit was there, the cleanness was there, something. And so that began my journey of walking with Jesus. But being a pastor's kid, it's strange because you have people saying all kinds of things to you and you're in this dilemma. Am I being good because I'm expected to be good? Am I being good so I don't get dad in trouble? Am I being good because I want to be good? Like I believe it's actually a good thing to do. You have people say strange things to you. I had other kid like on the playground said, well, you can't do this. You're a pastor's kid. Like what does that have to do with it? And uh, so fast forward through that, God just was faithful to bring key people into my life in high school and college. Went to the same college my father did. And uh, people were asking me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you know, you have this kind of love-hate relationship with what your father does. Like sometimes you want to be like your dad and sometimes you don't want to be like your dad. And so I would answer sometimes I wanted to be a pastor, sometimes I didn't. And then um, in college, I studied English literature. I got certified to teach English, because Paul talks about being able to teach, you know, in Timothy. Thought that was a good plan, keep some doors open. And I never taught school. I started working in different places and ended up in a manufacturing facility. I was uh, in the purchasing department for about three years. And it was during that time that my parents came for a visit. And uh, my dad and I had an argument. And he, he, his contention was, what are you doing with your life? And I didn't want to be a pastor to be like him. And I didn't want to be a pastor to please him. I had to have something else going on inside my life. So we left on the awkward terms. And then he wrote to me and apologized. And we made up but it stirred something in me. I knew what I was doing wasn't all I wanted to do. Now, I had been involved with the Navigators, a a college ministry, and I was involved with the community ministry, and I learned something about discipleship, and I was excited about that. I was more comfortable in that world than I was in the church, even though I was going to an evangelical free church in Ellington Heights at the time. And so I went to seminary in a little school in uh, DC that's another story. But um, I thought that I was going to end up on staff, you know, someplace and just kind of do some discipleship stuff. But I really kind of had this not sure about the church thing because I haven't grown up in it. Well, between my second and third year of seminary, I got invited to do an internship. We had to do them, and I ended up being at Grace Fellowship in Baltimore. And that changed everything. Because all of a sudden, I saw pastors living differently than my father had. My parents loved Jesus. They had genuine relationships with Jesus. But we were kind of in legalistic kinds of churches. And I saw a relational church where people could be real. And I saw pastors who were normal. And I saw a community using its gift and I loved it. It was like, this is what church is supposed to be like. So I stayed there for a bit, um, just kind of on, just working, and, and then I ended up on staff at the church, and then a year later, we moved here in 1988 to start Grace. And being really transparent with you, there are times I don't like being a pastor. When we bought our first house, we went to meet the neighbor. He was riding on his uh, lawn tractor and was mowing the lawn, and we went over to introduced ourselves, and we were just talking normally, and then he asked, well, what do you do? And I said, uh, I work for church, and he kind of asked a little more questions, and then I said, well, yeah, I'm the pastor, and he practically swallowed his chewing tobacco. like, Like, all of a sudden, he couldn't, like, just be a normal person, you know, because of that, and then When uh, the church was first starting, I had to go to the bank because, you know, I was like the staff. And um, I went to the bank to open an account. And the guy helping me figured out I was the pastor. And he said, oh, I love it. I love it when I go to church and the pastor just crawls all over me and just berates my sin. And I was like, I'm thinking, what? Like, you like going to church to get yelled at. Like, what is that about? And I've just watched situations where you're talking to someone. I always avoided asking people what they did because I knew that they would ask me what I did. And that as soon as I told them what I did, like, you know, walls would go up and they, they couldn't be normal. They'd apologize for living. Like, I, it's like, why is it that if I ask anybody, hey, I need to talk to you, that their first assumption is, what did I do wrong? That, that part I don't like. But what I discovered is that this is what God made me to do. That's been hard to say. But I saw how God began to use my life, and it made sense that the background he'd given me, the things that he'd done in my life, brought me here, to do what we've done together. So, I've had this uneasy, not sure I want to be what God wants me to be. Maybe I do want to be what God wants me to be. Maybe I don't want to be what God wants me to be. And I share that with you to say, Undercovering your gifting and uncovering your calling may take a little time, and it may take readjusting your thinking. So, how would you go about it? How would you go about living out your calling? Paul says, This is my goal. He said, This one thing I do, I pursue this. What are you pursuing? people pursue all kinds of things. They pursue all kinds of things thinking it's going to give them happiness or it's going to give them joy, but only this one thing that Paul talks about has the hope of really giving you true, genuine satisfaction. So let's look at what he has to say in Philippians 3. Before the verses that we looked at, he says this, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. The first thing of all is to know Jesus. To know Jesus. Paul said, all the other things that I've done, all the other things that I have, they're nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Jesus is the smartest person who has ever been on the planet. He is there at creation. Everything has come into existence through him. And he is inviting you into relationship with himself. This is not about knowing about Jesus or knowing the name Jesus or being able to tell some of the stories from the Gospels. This is knowing Jesus personally. Remember what he says to his disciples. My sheep, hear my voice. He says, abide in me. Part of our journey as a church has been uncovering who Jesus is and what he taught. That's why we spent time in the Sermon on the Mount and we spent time in the Gospels because Paul tells us this is the most important thing. And everything flows out of that. Like if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, everything else is just off. The second part of knowing Jesus, or the second part of living out this call that God has in your life, is changing in character. So here's an example. This is throughout Paul's letters, but here's an example of one of the things he says. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You have been given a new life, and you can enter into that. You put off the old ways, and you put on The new ways. You see, part of living at your calling has to do with your gifting, but there are gifted people who have no character. I read about a baseball player this week who got cut. He was a prospect because they were alleging he was stealing from his teammates and selling it. (laughs) Like, you're a prospect. You haven't even made it yet, and you have all this potential, you have all this talent, and you're stealing from your teammates before. It doesn't anywhere. That's sad. And so one of the things that Jesus invites us into is transformation. This is not about trying harder. This is not about, you know, legalism in terms of trying to follow a set of rules. It's about a transformation that comes from knowing Jesus because we're living out this new self, this new heart that he puts within us. And then the third is understanding your gifting. So, I have said this to you before, which of your body parts are you willing to not have work anymore? We kind of like it when they all work. And in the body of Christ, every single one of us is one of those parts. Every single one of us has a role to play. Every single one of us has a gift, has an ability And that's how you're supposed to function. Um, I wanted to read you a couple things. So, um, Kathy has been doing a a devotional series, and she gave this to me. This was written by Lee Strobel, Uh, and this is what he says. Tour bus Christians drive comfortably through life as they gaze out the window at others who are elbow deep in the daily adventure of serving God and working among spiritually needy people. Tour bus Christians are insulated from the real world activity and excitement of God's work. They may avoid some pain that's involved. They may protect themselves from the difficulties and struggles, but there are no real adventures on a tour bus. They miss out on the excitement of living at the edge of expectation they don't experience the tremendous countercultural truth that the more a christian pours himself out serving others in god's name the more god will fill him to overflowing the adventure comes when you tell the tour bus to stop and you jump off and say lord i want into the fray i want to play a role in the biggest adventure story of all time use me to make a difference Part of living out your calling is understanding your gifting. I told you before about one of the reasons I don't like being a pastor, because it can create barriers. You, as not having a title pastor, don't have those barriers. There are places you can go and people you can talk with where the walls don't immediately go up. And you can have an impact By the life that God has put in you. So, one of the things that's um, happened—you guys have given us an incredible gift by celebrating us. Last last um, Saturday night was just so encouraging to us, and if you heard Brian's story about the skips, you know you know why, and if you don't know Brian's story about the skips, ask somebody to tell you that that story. But it's easy to, to see the negative. It's not always easy to see the positive. But um, when I was cleaning out my files this week, I found a letter, and this is from Scott Baker. If you don't know who Scott is, Scott was one of our worship leaders. He's with Jesus now. And, uh, but he wrote this, I think he wrote this um, probably about 10 years ago. So he said, when I became a part of Grace Church back in the late 80s, it was well known that Mark didn't like to, want to be referred to as pastor, and certainly not Reverend Fesmeyer. Everybody went along with the request and the spirit in which it was made. After all, our church distinctives declared plainly the need for all members of the body of Christ take on the mantle of ministry, to engage in mutual edification, to receive, accept, and learn to practice their gifts. And then he goes on to say this, they felt like they had a part in a quiet revolution, the only kind that has meaning. Such distinctions between layperson and minister would be barriers to a return to the lost patterns of proper church life. Can you say amen? That's why I don't want you calling me pastor. It's not about me. It's about us. One of the reasons I am so excited as I look to the future as I'm seeing that every member ministry revitalizing, as I look around and I see around the table the Skype discussions that have gone on this past year, as I've seen the Celebration Sundays, I'm seeing people using their gifting in fresh and new ways. There are amazing gifts in this body. Cindy Shockley has the gift to throw One wild party. And so many of you helped her. It was amazing. There are a prayer team here that have prayed for us and prayed for individuals, and we've seen breakthrough in people's lives. There's a prayer and fasting team that has logged hundreds and hundreds of hours praying for the ministry of grace and the ministry of our missionaries and we've seen breakthroughs because of that there are countless people who've worked in kingdom kids to love our kids and help them love Jesus there are so many things that have happened and I have nothing but hope and positivity toward what I see Brian and Kirsten doing as we move forward because they're bubbling all of that up afresh. So, this is a mystery box. Um, I'm going to tell you uh, my secret. I knew at any time I brought anything up here I'd have your attention <laughs> because the mind wants to know what's in the box. So when I brought bags and whatever else I brought up here, that, that was the design. But here's the deal about this mystery box. It's not mine to open. See, this represents your... Calling. The one God has given you to be the person he meant you to be. Paul was set on fulfilling that. He had this passion to pursue it. He wasn't going to stop, no matter how much he did, no matter how much he accomplished. He wasn't going to quit until God called him home. And this isn't mine. This is yours. Right now, I ask you, is your box open? Have you looked inside? Do you know who God has made you to be? Do you know the things he's asking you to do? I'm telling you, it might be risky. It might feel dangerous. It might feel strange. But it's the only life worth living. When I teach Perspectives, one of the classes I start by telling this story. It's the middle of a night. I am all alone. I am on a train in the middle of Central Asia. Somebody I don't know has put me on the train. Somebody I don't know is going to get me off the train. I do not speak any Kazakh. I do not speak any Russia, Russian. And I think to myself, how the heck did I end up here? But that's a God story. You have God stories all around you. The question is, are you going to open it? Brian was really, really honest with us last week when he said, look, you guys are going to have some decisions to make. There's changes happening. Are you going to go with us or not? And I was so happy that he surfaced. I said, let's talk about it. It's okay. We understand you got decisions to make. But I want to tell you one more time about a conversation I had with a young woman a couple months back. She was calling because she heard we were moving and she was asking all kinds of questions. And I told you this part of the story because as she talked about being around Grace, she said, The people there are really real. Yes! That is awesome. We don't have to pretend, we're not perfect, we're growing. We're in process, we can admit when we make mistakes. But I don't know if I told you this part of the conversation. Because you see, you can look at churches much like you look at a grocery store. You know, I like the meat department there, the produce is better over here, but the prices at this third store are even better, so you shop at all three. The church is not a grocery store. The church is a community. What I said to her on the phone is, one of the questions you have to ask is who are the people you want to be with to be community? Who do you want to team with? Who do you want to partner with? Who are the people you want your kids to grow up around? That's the question. And it's not a question of passivity. It's not a question of, spectating is not a question of going by on the tour bus. It's a question of where are you going to get involved and plug in the gifts that God has given you, because I can tell you it is joyful to do what God has given you to do. I have had people ask me several times, like, Mark, how do you talk without notes? I have no idea. I'm serious. I have no idea. For the first probably eight years of being at Grace, I would type out like a, like six sheets of paper what I was going to say, I would bring it to me and I'd put it on a music stand and never look at it. Like, I don't know how I do that. I just know it's God at work in me. You have the same thing in you about something, where the spirit takes over and ignites you whether it be writing music whether it be serving you will feel that as you do it as you enter into your gifting But part of entering into your gifting. Well is knowing Jesus first Pursuing him spending time with him and letting him transform your character. I Have nothing but joy and excitement as I look to this body for the future because I see what God has already done and I have every expectation he's going to continue to do it. Okay, so I'm going to pray, and then Kathy's going to come up. And we've got a couple things to share with you. So let me pray. Father, thank you that you have called each one of us. You have special, unique work for each of us to do that's designed upon your creation of us. Lord, I pray for your blessing on this body. That you would help each person find what you have called them to be and do. And may they enter into it with passion, committing themselves to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: So, God has not called me to speak without notes, so <laughs> I'm just going to read this. Um, as Mark and I have talked about our future and weighed our options, I couldn't help but reflect back on my life with Jesus. I became a believer in high school and clinged to a certain Bible verse as I made my way into that scary journey called College. Recently I looked back at the context of that verse and was surprised how relevant it was for all of us even today. In Joshua chapter 1, there has been a change in leadership among the Israelites. Moses has died and verse 1 Joshua is now in leadership. Well, Mark isn't dead. I'm not yet, dead yet. <laughs> we too have a leadership change at Grace but not only was there a leadership change with the Israelites, there was a move. They were getting ready to cross the Jordan. And without Joshua uttering a word of worry over all these changes, God knew his heart and told him not once, not twice, but three times in that chapter to be strong. And so the verse I clung to was Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you... Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, we're certainly not the Israelites, and we're not moving to the promised land, but the same principles apply. We are going through change, new leadership, and we are going over the river and through the woods to a new location. And Mark and I, too, are making changes. But we need not fear because wherever we go or wherever you go, God is with us and He has been leading us each step of the way. So where are we going, honey?
0: Good question. So a lot of you have asked what's up for us? What what are we planning to do? So the first thing we know is about for five months or so we need to be apart. We're not gonna come to any public gathering we need to unplug. And that's not because we don't love you, but it's because we do. Like, you know, we've been responsible for things. We have to weed that out, discipline that out of ourselves to not be in charge of anything. So we're going to disappear for about five months in terms of the public gathering. We're going to still be in town. Um, That doesn't mean you can't come talk to us. You know, like you see us on the street, you don't have to walk on the other side, like, I can't talk to them, like, no, that's okay, we're just, you're just not going to see us publicly, it's our hope to come back, and just be a part of the body, but we're holding that with an open hand, because the Lord hasn't showed us anything yet, and we felt like we need to be gone for a while for him to do that, so that's the plan, and we would invite you to pray for us, but we will certainly be praying for you.
1: We appreciate the fact that the elders have invited us back instead of saying, you know, don't ever come back. So we're really thankful for that. Um, As I think back over the past 34 years at Grace, two words come to my mind. The first is real, that Mark talked about, and the second is family, extended family. I personally have fought against that false mantra that if I'm perfect, then maybe someone will love me. But I'm coming to realize that I am loved by an amazing God, and it's not about being perfect, it's about being real. We have made some good choices and some not-so-good choices in the past 34 years. But through it all, try to be real and to be family, because that is what life should be. We have lived life with you through births, deaths, Marriages, and even divorces. Life can be messy. Church can be messy. But it is what God has ordained, and he uses it to spread his amazing gospel message and also challenge each of us in our own personal walks with him. And we are so thankful that we got to do real life with you in all of its crazy ups and downs. You are a beautiful community reflecting God's image. And we are humbled and blessed to have been a part of it. Thank you for loving us for who we are and encouraging and challenging us with your real lives as you've lived them well with Jesus. We love you all.
0: Amen.
2: So guys, um, we are about to do some blessing, not, I mean serious, serious blessing, it's going to come in a series, so are you ready for that? We're going to bless these guys. So the first one is going to be Eric, Eric Fesmeyer is going to come up and say a few words and uh, that's just the opener. Hey everyone, yeah you can have a seat I guess. Um I'm Eric, as you said, I'm Mark and Kathy's younger son. I, I'm just here to give mom and dad, give, give you two a moment to breathe, to look around. <laughs> One of the greatest blessings and privileges and joys in my life has been growing up in this church. And Nathan and I have had a front row seat at all the work you both have done over these years. All of the perseverance, all the prayer, all of the tears, all the joys, all the faith. We've seen it. That work is now done finished. God has made it and declared it good. Mm. You fought the good fight,
1: Mm.
2: you've finished this race, Mm -hmm. and you've kept the faith. Mm. So take a moment Mm. to breathe and be prepared to receive Mm. the blessings that are going to come from Mm. the church that you have blessed Mm for so long. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Mm.
0: Thank you.